0: The following is an audio sermon from Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. For more free audio content, search Sacred City Church in your iTunes store. You can open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Heather already read that for us. <clears throat> We're in a very interesting section of this, um, of this letter to the Ephesians. If you remember Paul, he's writing from a Roman cell. He's imprisoned. He's imprisoned. He's writing to a group of churches. This is like a circular letter. So it's like a set almost to like a group of missional communities. So this letter, they would read it one missional community, pass it on to the other missional community, they'd read it, pass it on to the other missional community, they'd read it. So Paul is sending this letter out to his young young people that have, you know, they're new converts. Some of them have been in pagan witchcraft, worshiping the, the goddess Artemis. Um, all kind of pagan revelry, I mean, sexual stuff. I mean, it's just been, it's a crazy, crazy uh, area that the gospel had spread to. It was really popular, really young, port city, a lot of new ideas, marketed in all kind of culture, very similar to where we are, very similar to the Quad Cities, how everything is kind of built around the, the river, real, real similar to, Ephes- to Ephesus, okay? So Paul is writing to these guys, and we get to this spot, all right, it's uh, it's a real interesting passage, is verse 15 to 24 or 23, and we're going to spend a few weeks here, more than likely, because as I've been soaking in this, as I've been continuing praying about this over the past few weeks, this passage just keeps like opening up to me. It just keeps getting deeper and deeper. Every time I go back to it, I see something a little diff, a little different, in a little different way. I see more there. It's like uh, I don't know, man. It's just like the kiddie pool where you, you know, you walk and it's like ankle deep, and then you walk in, walk, walk, and then it just keeps getting deeper, deeper, deeper. That's the way this passage is. So we're gonna wade into it tonight. We're probably gonna get ankle deep, but we're gonna we're gonna move into this passage um, a little bit. This section, this section right here, you can see it's called Thanksgiving and Prayer in your Bible. Um, <clears throat> this is one of Paul's prayers for the churches okay can we turn the air down right behind you turn that down to like 68 and I and no complaints all right <clears throat> it's getting to be it's getting to be routine it is hot it is hot so this is one of Paul's prayers to his churches now this is interesting for me um, about three years ago <clears throat> I was going through uh, a significant, some significant changes in the ministry. Things were kind of growing, and, and I, was needing, I was needing a break. I didn't know what was going on. I was having to raise up leaders, and just I was really stressed out. So I went off. I grabbed my Bible. I grabbed my um, note, my journal, my moleskin, and I went off to LeClaire, to this little coffee shop in LeClaire, and I shut my phone off, and I didn't open the computer, and I just opened up the Scripture, and I just said, God, I want you to speak to me today. I need help and how to raise up leaders and how to... T- train people and, and how to lead this church I need help and I, I just went right through Galatians uh, Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians Okay, I, went, I read right through Paul's letters and what struck me was how he prayed for his people I was, re- I was just smacked in the face like I'd never seen before how, how he prayed for his people because it was completely different from the way that I traditionally prayed for things Okay, his prayers looked a lot different than mine I remember um, <clears throat> sitting in that coffee shop and seeing this and writing it down and then going on a walk and just saying, Father, teach me to pray like that. Teach me to see things that way. And it, just, it did something deep in my soul. And I hope it does something similar to that for all of us tonight. Alright? So we're right here. We're going to be in 15 through 23. <clears throat> One of the first things that you notice... Or how big, or how big these prayers are. Now this is this is just one of his of, of Pauline prayers, but how big these prayers are. And I don't mean like big like ballsy like oh they're asking for crazy things. Okay, I don't mean big like that. I mean how lofty, how high these prayers are, how out of the out of the circumstantial these prayers are. That's one of the first things that I remember noticing that they come from. These prayers come from an elevated view of life. These prayers come from an elevated view of life. I want want to read this real quick. We're going to go through just, just the first three verses. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your heart enlightened. I'm just going to stop right there. I want you to think about this for a minute. You're leading a missional community and the wheels are falling off. Okay? A guy has just cheated on his wife in your group, okay? Your neighbors are filing suit against you. You somebody uh, Tim put a, a a link on my My Facebook wall this week, somebody in California is getting sued for having a Bible study in their home. They're wanting to tax it. They're wanting to charge fees. All this kind of crazy stuff is going on. All right? And they're winning so far. So let's just say this is happening to you, okay? Let's say you started a missional community. You got, you got interpersonal conflict going on. You got a guy just cheated on his wife, and their marriage is about to explode, right? He was one of the main guys in your group. You've got your neighbors are trying to sue you, okay? You, your kids are going crazy right now. You're having a hard enough time just leading your family. Things are going bad, all right? What do your prayers look like? In this situation, when you go to the Father, which I hope we all would do, when you go to the Father, what do your prayers look like? For me, I'm like, this sucks. Okay? God, this sucks. Fix this dude's marriage. Please get my kids in line. This is going crazy. I'm trying to build this thing for you. We're trying to expand the kingdom. We're trying to move forward. My neighbors are suing me. Please let their house burn down. Or, like, you know, I'm praying for something like that. Like... Just, you know, like the miracle in the Old Testament, just the earth swallows them up. And then, you know, God gets vengeance. And I stand out in the front yard and say, thus saith the Lord. Right? Like that. I want to see that happening. All right? I want to see that take place. Now, this is very similar. What I just described is really similar to, to the situation that Paul is preaching to. All right? If you go through the letters... Um, Ephesus wasn't as bad I mean they had all kind of crazy stuff going on But it wasn't as bad as some of the other churches But there's strife They're, They're being persecuted They're being killed Paul's in prison himself A lot of stuff is going on So you would think that he would pray like that You would think he says Man I pray I pray that you would You know that this would stop I pray that that suffering would stop I pray that that persecution would stop I pray that those people would quit it I pray all these things. And you, don't see him pray, you don't see him praying for things like that. <clears throat> when you pray, now listen, this is, our, this is the juxtaposition. The way Paul prayed and the way we pray. the way I just prayed. When you pray from a low viewpoint, when you pray from a human viewpoint, everything is circumstantial. When you pray from a low viewpoint, everything is circumstantial. <clears throat> God, give me this job. God, please fix my wife. God, take this away. God, give me that. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that it's wrong to pray about that. Obviously, Jesus, uh, when, he said, when he was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, you know, he prayed for food, he prayed for world peace, he prayed for all kinds of different stuff. It's, 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 some, it's not always inappropriate to pray those things, but is that the majority of your prayers? Are your prayers always that circumstantial? Because, listen... If you have a track record, who's been a Christian for longer than a year? Okay? A lot of, most of us in here. Now look, look. here's the thing. If you have a track record, you could probably think back and say, thank God he didn't answer that prayer. <laughs> All right? Let's just look at your spouse right now. More than likely, that's not the first person you prayed for. More than likely, you were dating somebody else, and you were praying for that person to be the one. And thank, and you were probably mad when it wasn't. And God knows best. Correct? Am I right? Well, some of yours, that's still up for debate, right? <laughs> but that's all right. <clears throat> when Paul prays... Listen, so, okay, before I go there, I want you to see what I, what I discovered and what I learned when I was in LeClaire in that little coffee shop. That when Paul prays, he never prays circumstantially. He never, that's a big word, he, Paul never prays for circumstances. He never says, I, I hope that stops over there. Wow, you got shipwrecked? Oh man, I hope that doesn't happen again. He never prays that way. Okay? when And Paul, in teaching his people how to pray, and praying for his people, Paul goes right for the throat, man. Paul goes right for the juggler. He says, if you get this, you get prayer. If you get this, you can get your life changed. That's what Paul does right now. He's going right for the throat. <clears> throat> and let's, let's, look, let's look what he says here. <clears throat> verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your heart enlightened having the eyes of your heart enlightened what's he saying? Paul is saying listen to this if you can get this if you can get what he's praying for then it doesn't matter oh my gosh this is big it doesn't matter what pain you go through. It doesn't matter how bad your experiences are, how difficult your trials are. It doesn't matter what comes, your life will be great if you get this. But if you don't get this, it doesn't matter how good your life is. It doesn't matter how much money you make and how many blessings come your way. Your life will be circumstantial. Always be circumstantial. It'll be shallow. It'll be weak. It'll be tossed to and fro based upon your circumstances. If you don't have what Paul is talking about here, if things go well for you, you become a proud person and really superficial. Your entire happiness will be based on your circumstances. When things go bad like they always do, you'll be utterly crushed. You'll be devastated. You don't have what Paul's talking about here. Things go well, you get proud, and you become shallow. You you need things now. You need good circumstances. If you don't get the good circumstances that you need, you're crushed and your world is over. You start saying to God, like, why me? And, And you're mean, and you shouldn't do these things. And you start assuming that you know how your life should play out. You become shallow. You see, oh man, you see this all over Facebook, don't you? The person is high as a kite one day, things are going well, and everything's great, and they're just the statuses are just Bible verses popping out of there, things are going great, and the next verse, FML. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, you're like, what the heck happened? Did that, you know, was it my neighbor and the house fell in? What happened? You, but th- is this not true? Because you're you're tossed to and fro based by your circumstances, and Paul is praying for his people, and he's not praying about circumstances. These people had the right, all right, to say FML on their Facebook wall. Okay, let's just say that. Ephesus, I mean, the ones that are, they're in prison, they're being slandered, they're being persecuted. I mean, all I mean, they're being drug, drug off and killed. Like terrible things are happening. Terrible things are happening. We're not arguing, like, that your life is difficult. I mean, that's the point. This, This life is difficult. This life does suck sometimes. We have to go through pain, horrible things. We have to see kids get sick and die sometimes. Terrible stuff. Okay, you see, you know, husband and wife, you know, cheat on each other, become selfish and and break up a family and the kids are wounded and hurt. We see horrible things like that in this world. It's terrible. It's the result of sin. But Paul never prays for circumstances to get better. Paul is praying. If If I could put that verse 17 and 18 kind of in my own words, I'd say this... Paul prays that God would give them the Holy Spirit's insight into the knowledge of God Himself. Paul prays that God would give them the Holy Spirit's insight into God Himself, the knowledge of God. Everybody say the knowledge of God. God. Now listen, this is big. How does the Holy Spirit know the Father? The Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existed co-eternally from all, before all time. They existed in perfect harmony, in perfect love, one with each other. They knew each other completely. They knew everything about each other. They were submissive to each other. They loved each other. It was like this circle of love between the Holy Spirit, God, and Jesus. They love each other. They know each other perfect. And Jesus, or I Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would teach us and teach the Ephesians to know God in that way. Oh my goodness, this blows! This blows my mind. And we're about to get to Ephesians five, and I can't wait to preach on Ephesians five. Okay, because in Ephesians five, Paul is saying the way that a husband and wife come together and they become one. Yeah, that's like you and Jesus. That's going to cook your noodle when we get there, okay? When he's talking about the, the, the purpose of sex isn't just to make babies. The purpose of sex is to show you what the Trinity is like. How the Trinity loves each other. How they give of themselves. How they open themselves up to each other and they mutually give. They don't take from each other. They give. They submit to one another. They live. They love. They lay their needs down at the feet of the other. That's what it means when a husband and a wife come together in one. And Paul is saying, I want you to know the Father like that. I want you to know Him that way. Not know about Him. I want you to know Him intimately that way. Paul's praying that the Ephesian church would know God intimately. He's saying, that is what you need and it comes from the Holy Spirit. Now listen, that is not an answer any of us want to hear when we're going through a tough time when we're being persecuted, when we've got a wild kid, when we've got a you know a spouse that's wanting to do whatever they're wanting to do, when we've got headaches and, and, and bad, just pain and bad stuff going on in our life, nobody wants to hear, this is what you need. Press into the Father. Know God intimately. I could stop right there tonight. If you feel away from the Father, if you feel drawn away, if you're going through a painful, a difficult time, this is a prayer for you tonight. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would open my eyes so I can see you the way the Holy Spirit sees you, that I can know you the way the Holy Spirit knows you. Let my heart know you and experience you in that way. That will settle you where it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. This is interesting for me. I want you to remember our context. Paul has just spent 202 words telling the Ephesians all the things that God had done for them in Christ. They were blessed, remember this? They were blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's like, you guys have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Then he lists them. You were chosen. You were predestined. You were adopted. You were redeemed. You were forgiven. They were given an inheritance and a down payment in the Holy Spirit. Do you guys remember all these things? You remember all these things? All right, I've got a little... I'm going to show this real quick. Let me get this out of the way. Oh, my bad. Chad, don't let me clip your chair, brother. Nice. All right, I'm going to bust this bad boy out. Hopefully you can see. Oh. Let me get that over here. See if I can get this out. Okay. This, man, is called the Order of Salvation or the Ordo Salutis. Let me try to get where everybody can see you here. Everybody, but Chad and you guys over there, probably. Okay, I want you to see this. Now, this is big. Why am I? Why do I, Why am I going through this? The reason I'm going through this is because this is a big deal. Most of us. Most of, hold on, let's just go back to the text. Go back to the text. Look at verse 15. For this reason. Look, for this reason right here. Because of everything we talked about in the first 14 verses. Because the sermon that Paul preached in the first 14 verses, because of this reason, now he's praying for this. Can you, this is, this blows my mind. He goes off and tells them, you've been elected, you've been regenerated, you've been converted, you've been adopted, you've been justified, you've been sanctified. You've done all this stuff, now he's going to pray for them. What are they lacking? He's already said you've been given everything in Christ. You've been given all things in Christ. What are they lacking? He's saying you can know God more. I want you to be pressed into the knowledge of God. So I want you to see this. I think many times if you've grown up in church or even come into the church, you hear, we want you to get saved. We want you to get saved. And then once you get saved, uh I don't really we don't really know what's next. Maybe we want you to learn some Bible stuff, but but it feels like we get saved and then it's over. That's the only thing the church want the only thing a church is really looking for. And I want you to see that there's so much more than that. Okay, And I'm going to go through this real quick. Romans 8.28, Ephesians 1. God calls us. You were elected before the foundations of the earth. God looked at some and said, I will show my grace, I will pour my grace, and I will call those unto salvation. Okay, You were elected before the foundations of the world. You're a sinner right here. You are kicking, screaming out of your mama's womb. You are a sinner. You've done nothing good. Then... It's called the gospel call. Someone preaches the gospel to you. Someone shares their faith of Jesus Christ, some, or their faith in Jesus Christ. Somebody preaches the gospel to you in some way, and then this happens: regeneration. Now, listen, regeneration. This is huge, guys. We're a reformed church. We're reformed in our soteriology. We're reformed in our salvation. Okay, this this is what one of the things that makes us reformed. This happened. When you were dead, we'll find this out in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your sin. You were dead in your trespasses. You were blind. You were blind, and this happened to you. Not because of your faith, this happened before your faith. God regenerated you before you could do anything. Before you could choose Him. Before you could say yes to Him. Before you could make a good decision. Before you could get sober. Before you could clean up your life. God regenerated you before any of that happened. While you were a dead corpse, God saved you. He regenerated you right there. Then, and we don't know when exactly this happens. You can never tell. I was regenerated right there. Nobody, You don't know. But what happens, this is what happens. When you are regenerated, all of a sudden you're like something about that sermon, something about that Jesus, something about that community, something about that message I heard, something about that scripture, something about God, things that were foolish before, now all of a sudden you realize they're not foolish. Now you all, all of a sudden you realize, I think, I'm, I think I was the one who was foolish. Okay? And, you, and then faith and repentance. That's when conversion happens. That's when conversion happens. Faith and repentance. God opens your eyes to see His goodness and you choose him i always like to say this regeneration oh man i don't know if i should describe it like this but uh, uh. conversion is when you can i think you you get to see reality all right There's a choice in front of you. Uh, You know, like if God chooses me, can I can I not choose Him? I would. This it's like this. God chooses you, and then you're you're open up, and you realize the choice is: Do I want to eat excrement-filled monkey brains, or do I want an apple? Hmm. I think I'll choose the apple every time. (laughs) Did I have a choice in that? Sure, I had a choice, but who's going to choose that? that's what this is, regeneration, my eyes open, I see, this is not a choice, Jesus Christ, who loves me, and laid his life, and died for me, or my own sinful way, Mm. I'll choose this, that's conversion, immediately upon conversion, faith and repentance, immediately on conversion, we are justified, that is the legal standing before God, this is big, legally, In the courts of heaven, your name was written down. You are a jacked up sinner on your way to hell. If you would have died, you're going to hell. Alright? Because you're a sinner. And all sin must be punished for. But, upon conversion and regeneration... You are justified in the courts of heaven. He says, you are no longer deemed a worthy sinner because your sin has now been placed on the back of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was punished for your sin. So if you were going to be punished, that would be double jeopardy. He'd be punishing Jesus and you for the same sin. He can't do that. He's just. He punished Christ for your sin, so He won't punish you. Justification somewhere in there about the, probably the same time I put it in the timeline we're adopted. Not only are we legally said no longer a sinner but now we're adopted into the family of God. Not only does he say not guilty now he says son, daughter you're my family. We look around and we see brothers and we see sisters because of this work right here. This Sanctification and perseverance, they kind of go together. Perseverance just means if you—if this has happened to you, you will persevere. People that fall away and they reject God, then either they're going to come back or this never happened. That's what perseverance. Sanctification is, you're being made into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. Every day. Now, this actually sanctification looks like this. A jagged line. Because you grow and then you fall off. You grow then you fall off. You grow and you fall off. It's faith, repentance, faith, repentance, faith, repentance, faith, repentance. But you're constantly working up and growing into the image of God by seeing the beauty in the gospel, the beauty in the face of Jesus Christ, and you're growing. And then we get this beautiful thing called death. And immediately on death, boom, we're holy. Completely Holy. And we get glorification. We've talk, we have talked about that a few weeks back. We get new... Res, I mean, we're in heaven. Everything's perfect. Everything's money. Then Jesus Christ comes back and we get resurrected bodies to rock the new earth with. Right? It's going to be wonderful. This is called the Ordo Salutis or the Order of Salvation. If you follow along on your Bible app, I put a link to... A, a, a beautiful visual representation from Paul Bunyan um, that, that I grew, I blew up into like a 24 by 36 poster and hung my wall. It's awesome. It's awesome. It goes in a lot more detail than this, but I want you, to, I want you to be aware of this. I want you to know this is why we're reformed right here. We're reformed because we believe John three through 30, three through three and eight that Jesus, nobody can be born again by their own will. You have to be born again by the will of God, right? He regenerates us first then faith and repentance comes. It's not because of my faith. If it was because of my faith, that would be a work. And it's not because of any work. It's because of grace. Okay? Do we get that? Good to go? <clears throat> now listen. This is what. This is why I did this. Paul is showing us, guys, look. Paul is showing us, this is not enough. Look at the board. This is not enough. Sacred City Church. This... Of Ephesus, this is not enough. Conversion and regeneration is not enough. We can't get converted and regenerate and then just sit on our hands. It's not enough. Press into the knowledge of Him. Come to an experience of the knowledge of Him. Know what it means to be adopted. Know what it means to be a son. Think of it this way. There's a child. Actually, I'm, I could use Dane again. They're the easy adoption illustration <laughs> great guy um <clears throat> when they adopted who was your first one page when you when you adopted page okay you know you haven't you whatever i don't know how it goes but you have an interview or whatever you meet them or you, you they were in she was in your life for a while and, and you could say okay we're going to adopt her and then you go and i'm sure if you if you set page down and said page we're going to adopt you okay more than likely yay mom dad you know a like, real excitement i, I doubt she's going to be like um can i see your bank account <laughs> what's your uh, 401k plan? Can we talk college? Can we talk about that? Do I get a car when i'm sixteen let's just get some details let's just work them out. Okay. Right. listen does she what does she know about them? What does she know about them? right like i 'm hungry Bob, that's what she knows. This lady's got the baba and the hug, okay? And, you know, that's what she's got. She's got the baba. She's got the hug. When I got a boo-boo, she kisses it. Like, this is what she gets. That's how much she knows them. That's how much she knows them. They're her provider. She doesn't know much about them. Now, listen, that is the same way when this happens to us and adoption happens to us. We come into the family and we don't know crap about God. We don't know anything. Uh... What is it? First, is it First Peter? First Peter 2.2 says this. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up unto salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's about all we know. My daughter, I knew. All she knew about my, my wife was Baba. She wanted milk. That's all we know when we come to faith. And I, this is the saddest thing to me. What if Paige grew up and that's all she knew about them? What do you know about your parents? I come to them when I get hurt, and they kiss my (laughs) boo-boos. Right? She's 16. She's like, they feed me. It's cool. I got a place to live. It's cool. I feel like that's where many people in the church live their life. They don't know God at all. They know Him. And maybe the regenerated, He's my father kind of sense, but they don't have this intimate connection with them. Fathers, this is another reason why you date your daughters. You date your daughters before some fool dates your daughters. You teach your daughters what it is to be loved. You teach your daughters what it is to connect to a godly man. You teach these things to them before some fool does. But the same goes with us and our Heavenly Father. So Paul is praying for his people. He's praying, saying, I want you to know God in a more intimate way. This, is where, this whole thing is this. Our ultimate need is to know God. That is your deepest desire. That is your heart longing. That is what your gut wants. And you're like, what? No, it's not. Yes, it is. Your deepest desire is to know God. Everything you're seeking in sex can only be found in God. Sex is meant to point you to God. Sex is not meant to return on itself and end on itself. It's meant to point you to an intimacy that you can have in the Father that's unlike anything on this earth. That's why it's there. Desire, if you you think about your desires for food, if you think about your desires for all these things, they're meant to terminate on God, not terminate in themselves. That's why we give thanks for our food. We just don't eat it. We thank God for providing it for us. thank God for making it. It's a a gift of grace to us. So our ultimate need is to know God. Now listen, if we had to break break it off in our language, that's what it means to flourish. You want to know what it means to flourish? Knowing God intimately. I, I hate. I don't even want to use this language because I feel like this language has just been removed of all of its power and all of its meaning. Because we hear about quiet times and we hear about being buddy Jesus and holding hands with Jesus and making out with Jesus during worship. And I don't know what we th- think about all this stuff. But <laughs> intimately, int- this is intimate connection like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have from all eternity. That is your deepest deed. I want you to, to uh, think about this for a second. What does it mean to know something? What does it mean to know something? I'm, taking, I'm in philosophy right now. I'm taking epistemology. And epistemology is basically the branch of philosophy about knowing things. How can you come to know things? How do you know things at all? What's a justified true belief? And all? I mean, it's just going around in circles and circles and circles about, can you really trust what you see and what you think and what you believe? Can you really come to know anything at all? It's really confusing, Okay. But I want us to think about this for a moment. What does it mean to really know something and really know someone? It's important to think of this. Paul has got a Hebrew background, okay? The Hebrew view of knowing things, we talk about the head, the heart, and the hands. They believed the head, the heart, and the hands were completely interconnected. You couldn't separate them. You couldn't separate the mind and the soul. They were all one. They were connected. I mean, they had some distinct properties, but they were all really interconnected. To know, listen to this, the Hebrew view of man is one of a differentiated totality. The heart, soul, and mind are so interrelated that they cannot be separated. To know thus involves the whole being and is not simply an action of the mind. The implication is that knowledge involves both will and emotions. It is in light of this connotation, like, listen to this. The Old Testament uses the word to know to talk about sexual relations. Even the New Testament does. Mary never knew her husband. She was a virgin when she gave birth. This word to know is so much more than right here. When Paul is saying... I want the Holy Spirit to give you a a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I want you to come to know Him in such an intimate way. That's what I want you to do. That's going to affect your heart. It's going to affect your head. It's going to affect your hands. It's going to affect all of you. Paul is not merely saying, I want you to know more truths about God. Some of you, you've got enough truths about God. You don't need more truths about God. He's saying, I want you to have an immediate knowledge of God and an intimate knowledge of God, an encounter with God that is both personal and intimate. Paul has in mind here, not a theory, not an idea, but something, not something abstract found only in a book. Paul is saying, I want you to know God intimately. Intimately. These people that Paul is talking to are mostly uneducated, ignorant, ordinary people, but that doesn't make any difference. Red, yellow, black or white, rich or poor, slave or free, religious or irreligious, Paul is praying that they would know God in a precise, exact, experimental, fully known knowledge of the Father of glory. This This is huge. Ignorant, uneducated people, many of them can't even read. And Paul is saying, I believe and I'm praying for you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. I'm not going to pray about your kids running off. I'm not going to pray about your difficult missional community. I'm not going to pray about the, the people that are frustrating the heck out of you. I'm not going to pray about your ail- ailment and your illness that is just bugging you and your hurt back and your hurt arm and your, hurt your, your stomach problems. I'm not going to pray for all those things. What I am going to pray for is that the Holy Spirit would reveal your uncover your eyes that you would see the knowledge of God in a more intimate way that you would know Him that is what you need that is what your heart is craving for doesn't matter your circumstances you want to know Him you need to know Him that's what Paul prays for Hmm. but how do we do this how do we know God intimately how do we do this I think this is the best illustration right here. The adoption. 1 Peter two two, Desire the pure spiritual milk. Desire it. Do you desire to be with Him? Do you desire to be with Him? Don't push off. The, if you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, don't push off. Don't push that away right now. Deal with God in this moment. He wants to know you and He wants you to know Him in that way. That is, what you, that is what you want. That is what your gut wants, man. Is God real to you? When you get on your knees and pray, do you know that God is there? Do you realize His presence? When you sing songs, do you realize you're singing them to Him? Do you realize that? This is not rhetorical. This is, I, I want you to hear this. I was reading... I'm going to just read a quote. I think I put the quote in your thing from Jonathan Edwards. Spiritual good is of a satisfying nature. And for that very reason, the soul that tastes... Oh man, I love this. Jonathan Edwards was just the man. The soul that tastes and knows its nature will thirst after it. And a fullness of it that it may be satisfied. And the more he experiences, and the more he knows this excellent, unparalleled, exquisite, and satisfying sweetness, the more earnestly he will hunger and thirst for more. Have you tasted him? Have you tasted the Father? Have you tasted his sweetness? Do you hunger? Do you long? Do you desire for more of him? Do you have, like David, in the watches of the night, my soul craves you? I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Do you have that? Do you know God? I'm not asking, guys, if you know things about Him. I'm asking if you've met Him. Does He speak to you? Do you know that you speak to Him? Does your soul thirst for Him? Is your entire life centered on Him? Has this happened? Were you once far from God? and you heard the preaching of the gospel and immediately your heart left inside of you and you said what do i got to do to be saved this guy's got to be preaching the truth something i want something that he's got there's something i need that i don't have and then you put your faith and re- faith in jesus christ and you repented of your sin immediately you're justified you've been adopted into the family of god and now you're in the sanctification and perseverance where you're coming to know him more and more and more and you're being made into the image and likeness of his son has that happened to you? <clears throat> Verse 15. If this has not happened to you, and guys, listen, I, 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 do, I don't want to be the church that plays games. I want to be the church that asks these difficult questions. And it's okay to say, I've been in church for a long time and I don't think that's me. That's okay. Okay. What do you got to do? Do you got to jump through hoops? What do you got to do? If you, if you want that to be you, maybe you're right here and you're hearing it for the first time and your eyes are opening for the first time and you're saying, Jesus Christ is real and I need to put my faith in Him. That's what you do right there. Verse 15. For this reason. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. That's it. Your faith in the Lord Jesus. If you've been told, come to Jesus and change your life, It's backwards. It's backwards. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you understand the gospel, you realize someone could be regenerated and converted and be the worst sinner on the face of the planet. The gospel is not clean up your act and come to Jesus. The gospel is He reaches down into your mess and He saves you. He says, "This this one's mine. This one's mine." If that's happened to you tonight, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're saying, "No, no, no, I got to clean things up, I got to clean," you're not. You, that you're putting your faith in yourself. You got to get things fixed up and figured out, and you're going to work through some things. First, you're putting your faith in yourself. Everything must rest on Jesus Christ all of my sin all of my performance all of my future good works all of it comes from him I'm going to get to heaven and God, if God says why should you get in I'm going to be like where's Jesus that's why that's why right there just nothing here here it's him he's got my pass I think I think he said he said he was going to hook me up when I got up here so it's him the blood of Jesus Christ that's it <clears throat> the ultimate end you, you guys realize we talked a little bit about the, the already and not yet right this is this is part of that the ultimate of our existence the best thing about when we get to heaven isn't going to be, you know, streets of gold and then the new creation. Oh, you know, I can surf without a surfboard or whatever the heck we're going to do, right? Like, we can do all these cool things. That's not the... I just came up with that, so sorry. I don't know if that's real, real or anything. But... but Guys, that's not... That's not the ultimate of our existence. Those are cool. Those are be benefits. That's going to be fun. Listen. The ultimate of our existence when we get to heaven and we're on the new creation is that we will know God. We will know him. Every desire in our body, every nerve ending in our body, every emotion in our body will erupt with worship and praise. It will be like nothing we've ever experienced. You can stand before the Grand Canyon and look out, and that is nothing compared. You can stand in the Sahara and look out. You can stand on the moon and look at the earth. Nothing will compare to when we come face to face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and God the Father. That is what's coming, and we can taste it now. We can taste it now. And it gets sweeter and sweeter and you taste it a little bit more and you want more and you want more. And it grows and it grows and it grows. And then finally we die and we'll taste it completely. That's, what our, that's the end of our life. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To see Him, to taste Him. It's the pinnacle of all things and that's what makes the gospel so beautiful. Beautiful. This is what's so beautiful about the gospel. Father, Son, Holy Spirit lived in perfect harmony. They knew each other completely. The heaven that we're looking for, guys, the ultimate that they had that. And Jesus Christ left that. He broke himself off. He left that union. He left that. He came to this earth. He lived the life that we all should live, the perfect life. And on the cross, He said this, I want you to know the Father, so I'll be disowned. I want you to be brought into the family, so I'll be pushed out. That's why the only time Jesus ever referred to the Father as God was on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every other time was father, father, father. On the cross, he didn't know God as his father. He was separated from him. The father had turned his back from him. He was rejected so that you could be brought in. He was cursed so that you could be blessed. This is the cost for you to be adopted. For us to be adopted. This is the price that God paid of himself. Every time I think of it, man, it just blows my mind. He was rejected. We've been chosen. He was crushed. We've been adopted. He was killed so that we could be redeemed. This is what He's done so that you could come to the knowledge of Him. As we come to the table tonight, Father, I thank you. No one could think up a plan like this. This order of salvation, nobody could think this up. This is from you. You've wrote, you have wrote this. You have written this story. You have planned it out. Thank you for giving us your sacraments, your body, in the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for being broken so that we could be healed. Thank you for being rejected so that we could be brought in. You were pushed out of the family so that we could be adopted in as sons and daughters. I pray that the language of I know that in my head, but I don't really know it in my heart, I pray that that language would be removed from our vocabulary. I pray that we would know you intimately as Paul speaks of you here. Like a husband and a wife know each other in the most intimate ways. That our hearts would be satisfied, our souls would be settled. That we would taste you and want more. Every day of our life. We will never know you enough. We will never know you ultimately until death comes. And we're glorified. But Father, let us have a little bit of that now. A little bit of the future, let us have it now. Do it in us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I prayed over these people, I prayed over myself. Father, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit we would know you in wisdom and revelation we'd be brought to a depth of the knowledge of God. Let us know you in that way.